Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today is the last part of our series of ACT processes, and today we're going to be talking about probably the most difficult to understand processes called um, fusion and diffusion. And we have with us today an ACT expert and um, a researcher and clinical psychologist is going to help us understand what fusion and diffusion is. This is a Dr. Jason Luoma, who is a clinical psychologist and co-founder of the Director and Director of Portland Psychotherapy Clinic Research and Training Center in Portland, Oregon in the U.S. Jason provides training and act for audiences around the world and he's also the author of a book that I found very helpful and I, I would highly recommend it. It's a book for professionals called Learning Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Jason was recently elected president of the Association for Contextual Behavior Science, and this is the organization that's most tied tied to ACT. In addition to being a practicing clinician and ACT trainer, Jason conducts research on shame, stigma, and self-compassion. And actually, we have had Jason on the program talking about shame, especially, so you look that up if you're interested. Now, you can find... Uh, more about Jason, his work, and his book by looking at his website, which you can get to by clicking on his name on this week's episode. Welcome, Jason. Thanks. Thanks. Glad to be here. We were, we were just talking about Jason. It sound, you sound so loud and clear, even though you're a long ways away from Sweden, almost probably halfway around the world. Yep, and it's the middle of the day here, nice and sunny and Probably dark where you are. Completely, <laughs> completely. <laughs> We're headed into the darkness here in Sweden. Right. Jason, these are difficult uh, processes to understand. I know many people who uh, try to understand ACT find this is probably the most difficult. What, what is it? What actually are we talking about when, when we use the word fusion? Sure. Well, I think... In order to understand the idea of cognitive diffusion, you have to understand the idea of fusion. And fusion is cog fusion or cognitive fusion is the kind of normal state of being for humans. It's our tendency to get kind of caught up in our thinking mm -hmm. and to not even be aware that our thinking is uh, kind of influencing how we see the world. Mm -hmm. And in fusion, we're, we're kind of caught up in our thoughts and our thoughts are controlling how we live and how we act in our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how we typically spend our time. That's, that's our kind of normal state of being is that we're, we're, if you haven't noticed, you know, our minds are constantly going from the moment that 
you fall you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. to the moment you go to bed you know in the evening and they're pretty much out of our control mm-hmm. they're really automatic and they're just constantly chattering away chattering away mm-hmm. and most of the time we don't even notice the influence on how we act and how we live our lives mm-hmm. so fusion is that is when we are unaware of the influence of thinking mm-hmm. you know on our behavior Jason would you say that um, actually, it, that we're not, or we have, it's not natural for us to even to understand the difference between reality and our thoughts about reality. Right, exactly. So, I mean, the, um, the word diffusion kind of points directly at that. So the word diffusion is a, is a made-up word that was made up by probably Steve Hayes or, you know, is made up as part of ACT. And... I think if you think about what, if you're going to know about the word fuse means, I can tell you a little bit, a little bit about that because the word fuse originally referred to the way in which kind of two pieces of metal that are heated up and, mm-hmm. you know, that come together turn into one piece of metal. Mm-hmm. So with, when two things fuse together, it's like two things become one. Mm-hmm. And in fusion, what's happening is the world as directly experienced mm-hmm. gets filtered through our kind of ideas or our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's like we don't even see that there's a world of the senses. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a world as thought out. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like there's one world yeah. presented to us by how our mind kind of says it is. Yeah, exactly. That's my feeling, too, that, that, that uh, most of us don't, even realize that that for example if I were to say I had a problem um, yeah. I, I actually don't have the problem here and now but I think yeah. it is a reality because I, I'm having the thought exactly that the thought I I have a problem that's a thought that's yeah. one way of kind of framing the situation that's the kind of thing that that minds do they and intend to turn everything into a problem yeah yeah so so, uh, okay, so fusion would be that, uh, would that be actually that not understanding that the control that these thoughts have over us and, and not seeing the difference between the uh, the direct experience and the thoughts about the, the direct experience? Right, exactly. So that's fusion when we kind of get caught up in our thoughts like that and we can't tell the difference between the world and our thoughts about the world. Do you have an ex- example of like what that might look like if you think if you meet somebody who you would say is fused in that way what, the, what might that look like well I, I mean on the one hand like you said it's um i think it's happening all the time and that we don't even notice that process so just to give you uh, an example of how that's happening all the time perhaps you and, and the listeners we could do a little exercise where mm-hmm. what i'd like you to do is try to listen to my voice and not hear any meaning in my words. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't hear any meaning at all. Like, don't even hear the words. Just imagine, you know, try to hear my voice like it's like music or like you're hearing some foreign, foreign language you've never heard before. Mm-hmm. That's and, hard. <laughs> right. I mean, I know I have a very musical voice, but um, even still, it's difficult. Okay, you want to um, try to do that? And so... And so it's very difficult to have, a, you know, to, like, and yet at the at one level, when I'm speaking, you're hearing sounds, 
But all that we hear is the meaning. All that we hear is and what our mind says, the way it's kind of understanding it. And we don't even notice the, the, the quality of my voice, the sound of my voice. We pretty much just hear the words. And so I think that's a really normal way to be. And it, it can, it's helpful in a lot of ways, but it also causes problems. Um, and then, and I think there's more extreme versions of fusion or more like some, some versions of fusion aren't so problematic and then some versions are more problematic. What, and, what, what might they be? Yeah. So to give, to give an example, maybe just because I do a lot of work with self-criticism and shame. And so, you know, one of the places uh, where I see fusion a lot with, with my clients, well, and with myself too, is around thoughts that we have about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's pretty common for people to be pretty self-critical and to have thoughts like, you know, I'm a loser or I'm worthless. And the way what happens when you're fused is that when you're having a thought like I'm worthless, it's you're not aware that that's a thought. Mm-hmm. What it seems like is that you have those qualities like you are what that thought says you are worthless and we don't catch that there is this kind of process of thinking that makes ourselves occur that way mm-hmm. and that we don't necessarily have to respond to ourselves that way in terms of our own worth or in terms of either arguing with it or uh, kind of buying into the thought that we're worthless and you know, proceeding in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, and it, that sounds really important. That type of self-talk or um, self-stigmatization, as we have talked about before, you and I, that seems yeah. to be the sort of the core of of um, probably a lot of behaviors. Uh, right, absolutely. I think a lot is is about our stories about ourselves and you know, what we're capable of and what we're not capable of comparing ourselves to others, um, comparing ourselves to the way we used to be, um, you know, constantly uh, trying to uh, analyze our own thoughts Mm. and feelings and getting caught up in that. Mm. And sometimes that's helpful, but a lot of times it can kind of get rigid and inflexible and we can kind of lose contact with our values, lose contact with our lives because we're so caught up in in that kind of thinking. Can I ask you another question about that, Jason? Sure. About um, because that's something I've been thinking about lately. How we 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 repeat these stories about ourselves. Um, for example, that um, uh, you might even in a partnership, uh, you would uh, talk about, "Oh, I'm this way, and my partner's this way," and and yeah. um, and. And then you wonder why things get boring between you, but, but it seems like you know that you you re, every time you repeat a story, um, uh-huh. I, I'm thinking that you know anything really that you say belongs to the past, and and right, and, and you're bringing yeah. that story into the present, and the present is very complex, and there's all kinds of possibilities in the present, but by bringing this story, old story, into the present, you're actually really reducing your possibilities of, of doing something different. Yeah, that's really a great way to think about it. And, uh, yeah, I like that a lot. That, you know, I mean, one way, a similar way that I talk about that is the idea that our minds are like these uh, computers or word machines that have, that are filled with programming from our past. Mm-hmm. 
and they're just kind of kicking back up or you know sort of saying things that come from our history mm-hmm. and if we can't notice what we're thinking and take a step back from that mm-hmm. then our past is just going to become our future yeah there seems and to I be think no that's what you're saying yeah there's like no solution in what we're repeating yeah because yeah, they're right. often yeah. it's uh, but but there are all, all kinds of solutions in the present if if somehow we could recognize that that uh I, I think it was Albert Einstein that said, all your thoughts are old thoughts, and you can mm. never think a new thought unless you actually experiment. Interesting. Yeah, that's a nice... You should put that in a book somewhere if you haven't. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> I th- um, so, so tell us about diffusion. Sure, yeah. Well, I think, And I think we've already been alluding to that a little bit. Um, uh, and yet, I mean, certainly we can do some more. The, so fusion is this kind of way in which we lose the distinction between ourselves and our thoughts or between the world and our thoughts. Um, in, de- in defusion, what we're doing is we're gaining some distance from our thinking or separating from our thinking. So the idea is that our thoughts can come and go. Uh, our programming can come up in situations as it's triggered and we don't need to be so caught up in it. We don't need to be so controlled by our thoughts so that we can do exactly what you were just talking about, Joanne, and to be able to be more present in, in this moment and connected to our values and able to you know, do, what, do what's important to us rather than to be repeating these old patterns, these old patterns that are directed by you know, our, our programming from the past. Let me ask you, Jason, when you talk about distancing, um, yep. uh, sometimes I, I think that sounds a little negative. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I wonder if... Um, I, there's a, a word in Swedish, I think, that's a little better. But, you huh. know, um, but just I'm thinking that... But you're not saying that, you know, that you should um, create a... Uh, so that you're no. not actually feeling your feelings, but right. when you say no. distancing, I so the uh, I think about and I I think maybe there's some not total agreement about this amongst ACT um, you know researchers mm-hmm. and clinicians, but when I think about diffusion, I'm ma- mainly thinking about how people are responding to their thinking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and less to how they're responding to their feelings. Mm-hmm. I think about acceptance as more about making space for your feelings and allowing them to come and go. And then I think about diffusion as being able to notice your process of thinking in mm-hmm. flight and not be so caught up in it. And I think I think one way to talk about that is to use this metaphor of distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes it can have that quality. Like um, the example that I will use a lot in therapy is the idea of... Um, if our if our thoughts are like a river mm-hmm. that's constantly you know flowing past, mm-hmm. we kind of we can be in kind of three positions with that. One is that we can be in the river being swept along, mm-hmm. and much of the time it's like that. We're just kind of you know we're kind of flowing along with wherever our mind directs us. We're problem solving. We're doing what our mind says. You know we're we're um, seeing the world in the way our mind says. And we're just being kind of swept along. We're ruminating. We're worrying. All of these times where we're just kind of the river's carrying us along. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing we can do is we can try to push the river. 
You know, mm-hmm. we can turn around, plant our feet, and try to fight the river. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that has its own sets of problems, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another way. Neither of those are, are diffused. Those are both fused. Mm-hmm. And then diffusion is like you're sitting on the bank mm-hmm. of the river. You haven't left it behind. You haven't, you're not ignoring it. You're, but you're sitting on the bank and you're observing the river, mm-hmm. you're kind of watching it go by without getting swept along, without getting into a battle with it, mm-hmm. but just being able to observe it. It's not that you're getting rid of it or getting away from it. You're just in this more mindful posture, this posture where you're kind of have a little bit of space between you and, and it, and it has less control over you. I, I like that. That's really, really helpful, Jason, to think in that way. I guess, you know, what I was thinking about distancing, you know, if I think yeah. of, for example, pain that, that I work with, um, yeah. if, um, so you get a pain sensation and then you immediately get uh, a lot of different thoughts about this is my pain and this is, you know, oh, what's, what is this? And, and, yeah. and we try to help people to actually uh, really get into the pain sensation, but try to, you know, watch out for, you know, these thoughts, uh, labeling right. it in different ways, but actually, but not to distance them, themselves to the actual, sen- the actual physical sensations, but to, you know, really try to feel those. Uh, right, exactly. So I think with acceptance, so I would think about that as, I mean, there's lots of words for this, but one way that I might think about it is that the sensations of the pain, you're going to accept those, which means being in contact with those, mm-hmm. allowing them to touch you and to make space for them and giving them room to be there, you know, as a sensation in the moment. And when, then with diffusion, you're going to notice the thoughts and allow them to come and go and perhaps with a little more space so that you're less you know, caught up in them. Yeah. So that that's kind of how I might think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, what got you interested in, in diffusion as a process? Uh, sure. Well, so, to me, actually, it was one of the pieces of ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, that I think was most appealing. And the way that I got to ACT was through my background in uh, mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. So at the time when I was first uh, studying psychology, I was a, a pretty regular meditator. And at that time, there was there was almost nothing written about how you could use mindfulness in therapy mm-hmm. and so I, I was really wanting to understand kind of how to use the things that I was learning in my own mindfulness practice mm-hmm. in in therapy with my clients and I and I knew that there was some research showing that you know meditation practice like a daily sitting meditation practice helps a lot of people mm-hmm. the problem is not everybody will do that yeah and so one of the things that originally appealed to me about diffusion was it seemed like a, a strategy or a way to understand some of what happens in mindfulness meditation, mm-hmm. um, but to be able to do it in a way where it's more in the day-to-day of people's lives, that mm-hmm. it's not so much that they sit down for a, a half an hour every morning or and have to set aside time to, to practice, although that would probably be good for most people. Mm-hmm. But that you can gain the benefits of this kind of distinction or or separation between ourselves and our stories, mm-hmm. and you, without needing to meditate, that you can learn it in a maybe a more direct way. And so I think that's that's part of what we're doing in ACT is we're trying to bring. I mean, one way to talk about it is, you know, 
this part of the model is is bringing some of those benefits of meditation to people without them needing to meditate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't I actually didn't know that you're a meditator, Jason. I think that meditation is a really good example. I also wonder about you know if you were meditation for me is about learning non-reactivity, so learning to, uh-huh. and and I'm thinking even even if you sat down five minutes a day and just uh, did you know, uh, sat still so that you didn't react to any impulses. Yeah. That's also probably good training for diffusion, right? That, that uh, you, To help yourself not be a slave to any thoughts, that you just practice not reacting to impulsive thoughts. Oh, exactly. And, I mean, a lot of the reason why we're impulsive is the thoughts, right? We get caught in the thoughts. It's like, um, you know, I... I, I've got to itch this right now. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't notice that that's a thought and that you could, you know, say to yourself, well, there's the thought. I need to itch this and and to remain still and to notice the, the itch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I think that's the kind of thing that you'd practice in meditation. And it, it, it diffusion is in there. I mean, they may not use that those, those words because, you know, we made that up in, in ACT, that word diffusion. But it's a similar kind of process mm-hmm. and and that uh, I don't know if, if you would say this Jason but it seems to me that um, most psychological problems are about uh, acting on short-term impulsive mm. um, imperative thoughts like uh, you need to drink or you need to uh, shop or you need to distract yourself that these type of imperative impulsive thoughts are are really at the core of most psychological problems yeah, I think I think that's true. That's absolutely one, uh, a really core pattern for for people, and um, I think that's part of why meditation, you know, can be a way to to develop some diffusion, so that we aren't so controlled by those those kind of thoughts that are, you know, they are a very natural and normal part of being human. I mean, it's not it's not unusual to be um, to be impulsive and. We all are in various ways, and we all have those kind of thoughts of not wanting to feel this or that, or wanting to have this or that. You know, the mind is like that, and part of what diffusion is about is about um, kind of evening things out, so we're not so out of control of our actions, mm-hmm. uh, so that we have more control and can be aligned with our values. Mm, yeah, you know, you know, one one funny thing I've been thinking. You know, if, I don't know how it is in the United States, but here at the university, they often talk warn you for you know all the these uh, uh, mail that you get that are often that are um, trying to fool you for in different ways, and they often have uh-huh. very imperative. Uh, they say this is urgent, and and the advice is anything that says it's urgent, watch out for. It's probably a fraud. And uh-huh. I think in the same way, watch out for <laughs> those type of thoughts that, you know, tell yeah. you you have to do things that it's imperative. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, one, one of my favorite sayings that I repeat a lot um, is, uh, and, and I, was told, I was told that this saying came from Gandhi, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I don't even know where I first got that idea, and I've, I've tried to search for it on the internet. So maybe some listener will have heard this saying and be able to tell me who said it. Uh-huh. So if, please contact me out there if you know where this saying came from. So the saying was, um, I've got a really busy day today, 
better go spend more time on the cushion. (laughs) And so the idea is that the the very times where we most feel like we don't have enough time, the the times where we most feel like pressure to act Mm -hmm. and do something, oftentimes those are the times when it's most important to pause Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and be mindful to diffuse, to notice our thinking, that story that, that says we must act now. And to pause, even if that's just for two seconds, that can make just a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's the same kind of thing you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Jason, what type of um, problems in everyday life would you say that you see fusion in? Um, well, uh, I, one thing I already alluded to, which was that I think there's a lot of fusion around our stories about ourselves, mm-hmm. so our stories about who we are, um, whether that's stigmatizing things like um, judgments about gender or race or, or weight or um, socioeconomic status or health status. That's one kind of area or just gen- judgments like I'm I'm not lovable or um, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible person. So I think that's one of the areas where you see it a lot is kind of these judgments about ourselves or limiting beliefs and you know, stories that we have about what we're capable of or, or, you know, how we work mm-hmm. that can kind of, that can sometimes limit what's possible for us. Um, I think you, you also alluded to another thing, Joanne, which was that you said something about in, in relationships, mm-hmm. how if we are, kind of bought bought into our stories about ourselves and our partner that that can really take can take away from the relationship and Mm -hmm. I think the other area is that we can get fused with our stories about other people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, oftentimes that's you know about family members or partners or friends or at the workplace where we you know have stories about who they are and Mm -hmm. why they're doing what they're doing and you know, and we get really caught up in, in blame and mm-hmm. we get really caught up in judgment mm-hmm. and that can cause a lot of you know difficulties uh, in our relationships. Mm-hmm. So I think I think those are the probably two of the biggest areas are you know, these judgments of ourselves and uh, these stories about ourselves and these judgments about others and the stories about others that we get kind of lost inside and we lose mm-hmm. contact with who we all, you know the kind of fullness of who we are we, and we, we only respond to these old stories from the past yeah and that creates some a toxic environment in ourselves so we're actually creating suffering for ourselves by repeating those negative things absolutely yeah so how do you how do you work with this do you have any examples of how you would how you work with act with diffusion uh, sure so I mean there are um, you know, there are hundreds of exercises and metaphors and, and th- things like that that people can learn and use to um, help them learn how to do this, how to, how to use this process of cognitive diffusion in their lives. And so uh, when, when I'm in therapy, I mean, one of the main things is I try to map on what we're going to do to the person you know, in front of me who's struggling. Um, but I do have some exercises or metaphors that I use more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those? And I'm sorry? What are those? 
Yeah, so, um, well, the other, just the other day, this last night, we were doing a, a, a class on diffusion, and one of the metaphors I used in there was this idea of it's, it's as if you have a computer that is programmed with, you know, information. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, the programming comes from, your history comes from the experiences you've had in your life. Your life. And what happens is when you hit different buttons on the screen, when, when different events happen, uh, or hit different buttons on the keyboard, stuff pops up on the screen. Mm-hmm. And most of the time we're in this kind of relationship with what's on the screen as if it, it's sort of like when you're in a really good movie and mm-hmm. you forget that you're even there in the audience yeah, yeah. just in the movie. Yeah. And so then when we have thoughts like, you know, why is this person doing this to me? Or, you know, they're such a jerk. Uh, we're, we're, we're like really caught up in those thoughts and we're not even aware that we're thinking. And that's how we are most of the time. I mean, that's just, how humans are most of the time we don't notice that process of thinking and then there's this other option same programming same computer everything is the same except the only difference is that when the stuff comes up on the screen it's like you're aware that there's a you there that is watching the screen and then there's stuff on the screen Mm -hmm. and that you don't necessarily need to respond to what's on the screen Mm -hmm. so if if like they're a real jerk shows up you can, you know, you can notice it. It's like, oh, there's that thought, you know, they're a real jerk. Or you can thank your mind for it. So thank you, mind. You know, I've, I've heard that story so many times. That's real helpful here. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and to just be aware of it and not have to respond to it so much that you might respond based on other things. So mm-hmm. that even if you're having the thought, um, you know, they're a real jerk, mm-hmm. you might check in with your values and uh, instead respond based on your values um, even if the thought, you know, it, is there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that would be one of the metaphors that I will mm-hmm. use with people. Mm-hmm. And what other more? Do more? Yeah. <laughs> what about this? Uh, okay. Thoughts about I'm, stories. Sure. So, um, uh, one, this is another one that I use a lot and maybe the listeners could even, could perhaps do it al- along with us. So, um, so the the way this is an exercise called naming the story mm-hmm. and the idea is basically that we have kind of common stories that we tell ourselves and when i'm doing this with a, a client i'm kind of on the lookout for the things that they say about themselves about the kind of person they are um about the kind of things that happen in their lives like why does this always happen to me you know uh, my my you know ev- everything bad always happens to me say and a, a very maybe a pessimistic story you might see in someone who's depressed um and so if if, if we want to do this with the listeners basically you're you need to identify some sort of common thing you tell yourself that maybe you get entangled with or you you know gets in your way some story about yourself or that maybe causes distress for you um, I don't know, Joanne, if you have any ideas of something like that for yourself. Of, of what might stress me? Yeah, kind of story. Um, that I, you know, that I have too much to do. Too much to do. Okay, so that's a great, that's a great one. That's, I mean, that's so common, right? I mean, almost like many people have that story at least from time to time, and when we get kind of 
you know, into that story, it, it tends to really cause a lot of suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I do with people is once we can kind of get the sense for what we're talking about, then we want to do is try to try to come up with a, a good name for the story. And it can sometimes be fun. Try to try to come up with something fun or an interesting name. So if you thought about your life and you thought about this tendency to think, you know, you have too much work to do. And that were like and that were the title. There were there were a novel mm-hmm. about that. Like mm-hmm. you could write a novel about this. I'm betting, Joanne. I mean, you're a pretty busy person. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing if you wanted, you could write a novel about how busy you are and all the things <laughs> you have to do. <laughs> and so I'm wondering if we were going to give that novel a title, mm-hmm. something catchy maybe, or something fun. The, could you imagine a, a title for that? The yeah, yeah? like Achieving Alice. Achieving Alice. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. Okay, so there's a, there's a great example. And it's nice it's nice to keep the title short. Mm-hmm. So um, if you can, it's good if it's just two or three words. Um, and so Achieving Alice is great. And I think basically what you do is once you've gotten the name of the story, then your job is when you notice that that's getting activated, you know, that you're starting to feel like you don't have enough time and, you know, that you have too much work to do, that what you do at that point is then you name it. So you'd say to yourself something like, um, you know, here's the Achieving Alice story. Mm-hmm. Just recognizing that it's there. Okay, here's Achieving Alice story. Maybe thanking your mind. Say, thank you, mind. You know, that's that's a familiar story. I've heard you many times. And then from that, coming back to, you know, letting it go, and coming back to the present moment, coming back to perhaps your values and what's important for you to do in that situation. Mm, yeah, I like that. I like that, Jason. I think that that could be a helpful way to to um, recognize uh, when that story comes up. It's so easy to to get into it. Exactly. So it, and it's so complex, right? Mm-hmm. It has so many layers to it, and it's you know it's it, it's so thick and kind of can really grab you and so having some way to to label it in, in a you know, gentle way and maybe even a little bit of a humorous way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can help you to have a little more space and not take it so seriously because that, that's part of what usually makes those things um, have so much power is that we take them really seriously. Yeah, yeah. I often say to, to in our projects, um, uh, language is, is, is perfectly okay as long as you don't take it seriously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jason, do you? We're coming to the end, or we've come to the end of the program. Do you have any advice to our radio listeners about diffusion? Sure. Yeah. Well, at the very top of the show, you mentioned how diffusion is one of the more difficult to understand um, concepts in, in ACT, and. And so I think that it, it is pretty hard to pick it up from just a 25-minute show or whatever it is we did here. And so if you want to learn more about it, it's something that it can be good to get a workbook. I mean, pretty much every ACT workbook out there, just type acceptance and commitment therapy into Amazon or wherever. I, I probably shouldn't be dropping names of <laughs> <laughs> companies here but um so just type the name in you know somewhere and look for a book and you probably can find a workbook on just about any topic you're you have an interest in or something you're struggling with and there'll always be a piece in there about diffusion and i think one of the core things about diffusion is that 
it's not about understanding. It's not about understanding what diffusion is or understanding the concept, because that's just more thinking. Mm -hmm. What's really important about diffusion is practice. So just like with meditation, what's important is practice, not reading books about meditation. It's about actually meditating at a basic level. You need to practice. And so if this is interesting to you, the most important thing to do is to try to find some exercises and, and to to learn to learn enough so that you can start to practice it, you know, in a daily in your daily life in some way. So I'd encourage you to go out, you know, grab a workbook and just go to that chapter and and try out some of the exercises, and you'll get better you'll get better at it the more you work at it. That's pretty much how it works. Thank you so much, Jason, for being on our program today. You're welcome. You've been listening to Dr. Jason Luoma, who's a clinical psychologist and co-founder and director of the Portland Psychotherapy Clinic Research and Training Center in Portland, Oregon, in the States. Jason provides training and act for audiences around the world and is the author of a book for professionals called Learning, Acceptance, and Commitment Therapy. Jason was recently elected president of the Association for Contextual Behavior Science the organization that is mostly tied to ACT. In addition to being a practicing clinician and ACT trainer, Jason also conducts research on shame, stigma, and self-compassion. You can read more about Jason and his books on his website, by which you can get to by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.